are glad that we had this kind of weather for the couples retreat. I'm sure they're enjoying that very much. I pray for their safety coming back. And, uh, this morning, Ken asked me to fill in while he was gone at the retreat with Patty. And uh, for those of you who haven't been here, he started last week to take us into the book of Luke. And um, what's the theme of Luke that was on the bulletin last week? Anybody remember? Yeah, the seek and save the lost. It's there again, right? And so when Ken said that I could fill in, I thought, well, what better than have an account from the author of Luke, uh, an account of seeking and saving the lost. And so if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we'll see an account of somebody who is dealt with as a good, bad, and lost person. But anyways, uh, I was going to start off coming up here to some music. Does anybody think of music that might go with this title? The Good, the Bad, and the Lost? Are you a Clint Eastwood fan? <laughs> I am. I love Clint Eastwood westerns. Those are the best, I think. But anyways. Um, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. And here we have this lame man sitting outside the temple and apparently, this lame man can symbolize for us the lost of the world. And the reason why he can symbolize the lost of the world for us is because in his condition that he was in, he had a need. But he was outside of the temple. Where do God's people dwell? What does a psalmist look forward to? What does he say about dwelling in the house of God. It is a place of blessing. To dwell outside of the house of God is to miss the blessing of dwelling inside the house of God. And so here is this lame man outside the, the, the temple, outside the place of blessing. So he was of such a condition that he existed outside of God's temple and therefore symbolizes for us the lost of the world. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, 
I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's going to be the theme of our time going through Luke. But here we have a situation where we see some conditions of this lame man. And the first condition that we see of this lame man is he represents all of humanity for me. We see that he was a lame man because he was weak. He was weak. He needed strength. He needed to receive strength that was beyond him in order to be healed. And his need for strength becomes fleshed out, not just the physicalness of his need, but in the emotional need that he had as well. Yes, he had a physical need, but I think you'll agree with me by the time we're done that we'll see that he had other needs as well. In Psalm 65, 4, it says, How happy is the one you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the, excuse me, <clears throat> the holiness of your temple. He was missing the emo- emotional satisfaction that can only be found in a relationship with God. Why didn't he go inside the temple to get healed? Why did he sit outside and settle for asking for alms? So this man was weak. That's the first condition that we notice. The second condition we notice is that this lame man was limited. Yes, he was weak, but in dealing with his weakness, he was constrained by social and mental barriers. He was doing what was socially acceptable. He was mentally stuck sitting outside the gate. He had asked for alms instead of asking to be healed. Do you realize that he was at the same place just weeks before where Jesus was healing lame, blind, and deaf people? And according to the text, it says they took him there daily. I think he was probably familiar with what had happened in the weeks previous. Yet he sat outside the temple. Yet he asked for alms instead of asking to be healed. He was at the same place where Christ was healing the lame. In Matthew 21, 14 through 15, it says the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Instead of looking for God to work like he had already been working and looking for God to work in his own life, the lame man limited himself. He limited himself in two ways. He limited himself because he was relying on others. Not only the ones that were carrying him to the gate, but the people that were walking by looking to them to fulfill his need. But also he was constrained and limited himself to his own ability. He was doing what he could do. He was doing what was wise in his eyes, and I don't fault him for that. And that's probably what a lot of other lame people did. But he was obviously asking for the wrong thing because he was limited socially and mentally. In James 4, 
verses 1 through 4. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot attain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He was doing it the world's way. This lame man was limiting himself to doing it the world's way. In Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, we see Paul talking to the Ephesians and making a prayer about how they would have their weakness fulfilled. And he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a great prayer. But did you notice that instead of asking God for the strength to be healed and to be able to walk, the lame man limited himself to asking for money. Isn't God able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think? The lame man asked for the wrong stuff. What mental blocks or what social expectations control your possibilities? to see God working in your life? What mental blocks or social expectations control your possibilities to see God working in your life? Thirdly, the lame, limited man was looking. There was still something about his condition and his situation he was seeking and that's good. He was soul searching. There was something in his soul that needed to be fulfilled, otherwise he wouldn't have been out there. And at least he was looking. He was being as wise as he knew how to be, and he was trying to make it work out for his situation. I think that's okay that we seek God's wisdom. We need to seek wisdom, but it needs to be God's wisdom and not the world's wisdom. It needs to be God's wisdom and not my wisdom. And it needs to be God's woman and not the bestseller book in the Christian bookstore's wisdom. James 4, I'm sorry, Proverbs 8 says, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, 
in front of the town. Where was this lame man? At the entrance of the portals, wisdom cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, hear me, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instructions instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. I love those who love me, and those who seek me will diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yields better than choice silver. I walk in the way of the righteous, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. We should be seeking God's wisdom. We need to ask God to bless us through his wisdom. And this lame man should have been looking for God as he sat outside the temple. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 12 and 19 read this way. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Are we asking for the wrong things? So the man was lame. The man was limited, but at least he was looking. The question is, is what was he looking for? What was his motivation? And there's three responses that we as humanity can take in response to this idea of being represented in the lame man. In case you didn't get it, I'm telling you you're lame. (laughs) I'm lame too. But what's our response to being like this lame man? As I read the rest of Ecclesiastes 7, 12 through 20, it helps picture something that's important for us to know as we respond to being lame. If there's anybody in here this morning that recognizes that they are a lame person and needs the Lord, you can respond in one of three ways. This passage will help us delineate that. So I'm going to read verses 12 through 20 of Ecclesiastes 7. For the protection of wisdom, I'm sorry, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider that God has made the one as well as the other. He's made both days, the day of prosperity and the day of adversity. He's made both. 
so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this thought. And from that, withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in the city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. In that passage there, there's delineated two specific type of people, and possibly a third. But the first one that we see is the good person, the one that the writer of Ecclesiastes, the priest, is saying, you righteous person, you person who think you're so good, listen to this. Don't be overly righteous. You see, the good person is the one who does not recognize that they're lame. The good person is the one that does not recognize his or her problem. This person does not admit to needing any help from God. This is the proud and boastful man who says, look at what I can do. Look at how well I am doing. I wonder sometimes when I ask people, how are you doing at being righteous? And without a hesitance, they say, I'm doing great. I'm doing pretty good. Especially when we're talking about the spiritual realm. In Jeremiah, the Lord says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on earth. Are you so good <clears throat> that you're content with your condition and your situation? Are you so good that you have nothing to improve on or make better? Maybe you are righteous altogether. Are you doing just fine today? In that passage in Ecclesiastes, it said there's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Surely there is not a righteous man on earth. And by the way, is my righteousness going to save me? Let alone save somebody else? This is the good man. But you know what? He's still lame. But he doesn't think he needs to be healed. And then Ecclesiastes points out for us the bad man. 
This is the one who leans on his own understanding. This is when men seek out their own devices, their own desires, <clears throat> their own pleasures and passions instead of God's everlasting ways. Back in Ecclesiastes 7, it was like this. <clears throat> in my life I have seen everything, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly wicked, and neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It reminds me of what Paul was talking about in Romans, of those who suppress the truth about God and often suppress the truth about themselves. And so in Romans chapter one, it says, for they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. Therefore God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and served something created instead of the creator who is to be praised forever. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. <clears throat> they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips and slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do these things, but they even applaud those who practice them. They championship their badness. Do you delight in the deeds of darkness rather than the kingdom of the light? <clears throat> Are you more willing to be friends with the world and its ways and its darkness? Is being righteous just a waste of time to you? Then you're in the company of the bad. Are you bad and don't care what God thinks? That's what's being described here in Romans. That's what I think we're being warned against in Ecclesiastes. And Paul says in Philippians 3, for many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the gl they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The bad man, the bad lame man, loves his lameness, his lameness. He doesn't want to be healed. The good man doesn't think he needs to be healed. The bad man doesn't want to be healed. But then, what about the lost? Who did Jesus come for? The lost person is somebody who is looking for something. 
The good in this description and the bad in this description are not looking for something from God. But the lost at least is looking. He's looking for some sort of healing in Acts chapter three. But when we're talking in the spiritual realm, this person is the one who acknowledges that he does need help from God because number one, he smells the cesspool of his sin. His sin rises up before him and he is sick of it. It disgusts him. He wants to be free from it. He looks for a way to have it be removed from his life rather than running to it Rather than hiding it, he acknowledges it and says, this must be taken care of. The garbage needs to go out. And secondly, he realizes that he is a stranger in this world. The lost person is looking for the path to the presence of God in his temple. He's lost. Remember in Ecclesiastes, the preacher told us, it is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. From your own goodness and from your own badness, if you take the hand of God, acknowledging that you are lost, you can be found. But you have to acknowledge and realize what it means to be lost. And so I turn you to 1 John chapter 4 in dealing with the first characteristic of a lost person. And let me give you these five characteristics just briefly and quickly because each one could be a sermon in itself for us to deal with and what's going on in our life. But the first characteristic of a lost person is a life that is full of fear and guilt. And in 1 John four, seven through 19, we're told that God is love. And I'm gonna pick up in verse 13. And it says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God, that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in perfect love, Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Did you catch that? Perfect love casts out fear, and guilt from the sense of our sinfulness, that cesspool, The guilt that we have is not always necessarily built upon punishment, but oftentimes it's built by the formation of a conscience. This morning, do you have a clear conscience before a holy God? Or do you stand in fear of a relationship with God who loves you? 
We should be able to come to God without fear, without guilt. In Hebrews 13, 6, it says, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. In Romans 8, 1, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we sing that in the songs. So the lost person lives their life in fear and guilt. The found person is released from those. The second characteristic of a lost person is that they mentally have low self-esteem and are um, fixated in boredom. Can't think of a better way to say it. Low self-esteem and boredom. You know, we are encouraged in Philippians 2 to have the mind of Christ. If you have come to him and asked him to be your savior, you can realize his love for you and you can live under the teachings and the knowledge of Christ and knowing that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made exactly the way you are. He knows. He knows every hair on your head. But what happens when we lose the mind of Christ and we focus on the negative things, we start to focus on the negative things about ourselves as well. We hold ourselves in low esteem and don't see us as a child of God when we have come to him for help. And so sinless, sinfulness shows up in our lives in all of its forms, including boredom. And sinfulness shows up in all its forms. The cessation of life is just one aspect of sin. But all of its forms include restlessness, boredom, frustration, emptiness, meaninglessness. That is all because of sin. I like the saying I found from Thomas Zaz. Boredom is the feeling that everything is a waste of time. Serenity that nothing is. When we say, I'm bored, Who's the pronoun that we're dealing with? Ourselves. There is so much more in this world for us to enjoy, and being a Christ follower and coming to him for healing is not boring. Trust me. It's a life full of adventure. <clears throat> the third characteristic of a lost person is they emotionally live in distrusting love. Distrusting love instead of the divine love, which we heard about in 1 John 4. But distrusting love is a love that is full of anxiety. And the person, the lost person that is dealing with this, needs to remember that love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13. And when we see love in an immature form, it's a love that is easily shaken. It's tossed about. There's no confidence in it. And so in Ephesians 4, we're reminded to be mature in our thinking. Be mature in not being emotionally driven back and forth and tossed to and throw like the winds and the waves. And so Paul says in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests 
be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So a lost person is dealing with fear and guilt. A lost person has low self-esteem and lives in a life of boredom. And a lost person wallows in anxiety and distrusting love. Physically, a lost person lacks self-control and is characterized by bad habits. In Galatians 5, it's painted out for us. Some of these things are. The works of the flesh are practiced by the person who is lost. And Galatians 5 says the works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a description of a lost person with bad habits. And the other side of those bad habits would be to hold on to the fruit of the Spirit, which Galatians goes on and continues to tell us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The found person has that resource. The, the found person no longer feels that life is not worth living. And lastly, the lost person, how do they look socially? They're very much success-oriented. And I don't mean that success is bad, but it's when they're putting themselves first. There should be a sense of godliness with contentment that the scripture talks about. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a matter of prioritizing. James 3 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The world's view of success is not the same as God's view of success. And it is not what will bring healing to the lame man. So as you think of these characteristics and look in your own life, where would you be on the continuum? Are you the good? Are you the bad? Or are you the lost? And if you are the lost, can you claim that you have been found by the one who gives strength to the weak. How important is it to Jesus to save the lost? Come find out in the book of Luke this fall. 
Jesus loves you even if you're lame. But the wise man, even though he is still lame, has a great healer who loves him enough to revive him into new life. And that's what the man found outside the temple. Instead of giving gold and silver, Peter introduced him to the Savior who could give him true strength and true healing and true life and true freedom from sin. This healer brings strength to overcome the conditions and the situations that we are in in this life. And the question is, have you admitted your lostness? And are you willing to come to the cross of Jesus and be found? I'll close with this. Romans 8, 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this morning, some of us might realize that we still struggle with our lostness, our lameness. But if you know you're lost, you can be found. And as you seek to trust Jesus to help you work out your salvation, he will strengthen your legs and cause you to go walking and leaping and praising God. The lame person may be lost, but if he will receive Christ as his Lord and Savior, then he soon will discover how great is the love and concern that God has for the lost. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross because of our lame condition. You knew of our condition and you were willing to come and make the sacrifice to bring healing within us, to help us to find our way in this lost world, to be able to grab a hold of the assurance of things hoped for, knowing that you will bring us into your holy temple in the high heavens that you will cause us to dwell with you in your presence face to face, to celebrate who you are in your goodness, in your graciousness, in your mercy, in your holiness, how you have chosen to call people to come and be with you. And each person here today, whether they think they're good, whether they think they're bad, if they would just acknowledge that they are lost and they would turn to you, you are reaching out and giving them salvation. You have lifted up the Son of Man that all men might be drawn towards you. If there's anybody here today, we pray that they might make that confession, that they might take that stand, acknowledge their lostness, and come to you to be found. Would you give them the strength this morning in their legs, in their heart, in their mouth, to confess you as Lord and Savior, to claim Jesus Christ as the healer of their soul? Would you give them the strength to tell somebody today that I have found Jesus and that Jesus has found me? 
And if need being, if they would have the strength to get up and walk down to the front to pray with somebody. We have people here that are willing to pray. If there's anybody here today that wants to deal with their lostness, come and spend time praying for your healing, praying for your strength to be given to you that is not of silver and gold, is not of this world, but is from the hand of the Father to give you the wisdom and the righteousness that can only come from him, that can free you from your goodness, your own goodness, can free you from your badness, and can free you from your lostness. It's in Jesus' name we pray.